Hello everyone and welcome to another one of our team reviews of the 2023 season and today we're looking at Alpsin de Koenig and here to do well here to dissect it with me is none other than Patrick Blake of Audi Cycling and one third of the National Cycling Podcast and I mean Patrick you're a big fan of this team no? Yeah I just there's something about Alpsin de Koenig that I just find exciting about their multidisciplinary approach to stuff how they sort of started off as like a cyclocross team and really just forged out of like building around Vanderpool and it's but it's not just the Vanderpool show anymore it's there's lots of other riders who have come in and really prospered with this team and I just think they're really good at bringing talent in and and developing it to get riders up to a really high level and I love how cyclocross riders we've seen lots of them kind of come across and do really well with them. So yeah, I just I think Alpsin have got a really good um just like pro like team going on. They've got a demo team, cyclocross, you know, they've got a whole lot. Um I just think it's really good. Yeah, proper wholesome team right now, all round. Like G C Grand Tours, but it's fine. We don't all need to be G C teams. But yeah, looking at their season in numbers, 35 victories, that's one up from last year. Obviously, eighth in, I say obviously, eighth in the UCI rankings. And 19 victories with Jasper Phillips. And obviously, we're going to go through the Grand Tours, the Monuments, etc. But like, when we look at the non-Grand Tour Monument, yeah, because this team actually has Monument victories, as we all know. But um yeah, out of the other results for them, what kind of stands out for me, Skelder Priest is the unofficial, well, together with the Champs-Élysées stage, but like the World Championships for the sprinters and Jesper Philipsen won it from quite a awkward position in the final sprint. I remember also like Bruges de Pas, which was like a few days or like a week before, abysmal conditions. I remember Philipsen doing, um, you know, he did really good there as well. I mean, he... he really good he won it and I remember that was a real point where I was like Philipson isn't just like a sprinter he's got some real good savvy racecraft and actually we then saw that later on with a spoiler Roubaix but we'll get on to that in just a, a little bit but other results I really like Volta Lindbergh Classic with Groves also a tough race just like little things like that Super 8 Classic Bauer's Belgium Tour, ZLM Tour, Antwerp Port Epic you know these sorts of races where they get some of their other kind of not like high caliber riders in there, but they get themselves like the the Mareczkos, the uh, Dries de Bonts, and people get to kind of show their skills in those races and just show that it's it's not all about Vanderpool, Groves, Phillips, and their big sprinting talents and stuff like that. There's also quite um, some good depth in like their sort of second kind of choice riders as well. We also had uh, San Carlson winning in Frankfurt. I mean, uh, Tour of Turkey, the re- most recent race that they've won, four stages from Philipson. And yeah, well, this isn't on their list, but they also won, well, Macho Vanderpool won the World Championships in both cyclocross and the road race. And he won in the colors in the Super 8 Classic. So that was quite nice. Just another kind of random thing, but like Sam Gaze was also like world champ in the mountain bike short track and you know it just that's like another world champion on in their ranks so it's just like that they're, they're just like everywhere as well like and even like the women's side of stuff as well and um, they're kind of all over as well they've had a lot of good riders in their women's racing but yeah 
focusing on the on the men's stuff they've just uh it's not just road they just they dominate everywhere by the sounds of things and they're just very clinical i think is the way that i would describe alps and they really managed to nail it on the big occasion yeah well we might as well start with the monuments it's exactly on that point milan san romo yeah win already big tick in the box for matthew van der poel that was a uh it's felt like a long time coming, but I feel like Van der Poel's always quite suited to this race, and you know he, he, his performance there was just insane. The level of rider that there was there, that kind of quartet that got away, and then he just managed to kick away again. And uh, yeah, people were sort of showing like him and, and Raymond Poulidor, who kind of won it in Talval, was like a really cool comparison. And then yeah, Milano San Remo went on to the Ronde van Vlangen, where second place. It wasn't the win. Of course, Pogaccio was stronger on the day, but still, second place. Um, we almost have become very used to Van der Poel almost winning Flanders most times, where second place seemed almost disappointing, but second place is still a fantastic achievement, and lots of riders would uh, jump at the opportunity to finish second in such a big race. Harry Roubaix, not just first, but first and second. Philipson, that was probably one of the breakout performances that I was hinting to earlier. Philipson showing his one-day prowess. Not just a sprinter, probably one of the more kind of versatile sprinters out there. That was a fantastic performance. But then you get to Liège and Lombardia. You don't get that same sort of level from Alps and de Koenig. They're definitely more of a sort of cobbled racing team there climbing guys aren't really uh, aren't really there of course they lost Jay Vine and they just sort of like don't contest it's just like a null contest in any of the hilly races which you know it does limit their ability to get wins over that sort of terrain but I almost rate the fact that they double down on just certain types of parkours and the ones which they have gone in heavy they've literally came first second and then first and second so i think it's a really good strike rate um i honestly i just i don't think we did good enough in liege or ill on my but i'm just i can't even really find where they are on the yeah list. so outside uh, almost outside top 30 in both uh Aldani and ill lombardia 29th and just outside of top 40 in liege Baston liege with last year's podium finisher in terms of quince hermans so yeah, yeah. crashing yeah exactly in the so but maybe he was that man i would love to see much van do the age bust in the age he had a top 10 before but obviously it was 2020 but yeah i if much if what Renard can finish on the podium i definitely think much van can be up there now yeah i just think the problem is remco and all the riders who attack from further out, where Remco's definitely figured out a bit of a formula for how to do well in one-day races, and it's definitely to race it from further out. And I feel like when it kind of comes down to crunch time on, like, you know, one-kilometer climbs at, like, 11%, I do feel like Remco would probably still... I feel like Remco would probably do better still, but I, I think you're right. Van der Poel would have a really good shot of doing well at Liège, especially if he kind of fully targeted it, but I don't know how 
difficult it is for somebody to go through like a whole cobble classics and then also kind of back it up with an ardennes when you've got riders who are specifically targeting the ardennes and coming into a peak of form how hard is it to maintain your cobble classics form for, for that long i don't know um, and maybe that's the problem that he faces trying to do that but i think you're right van der Poel could probably have a really good shot at Elias bust on the edge well we might as well move on to well we can both agree pretty good monuments scout by yeah. them well by macho van der Poel. but in terms of their grand tour starting with the jewett tire obviously last year macho van der Poel took the opening stage win they had Caden Groves here, and we were kind of looking for him to kind of sweep up. Wasn't quite the case. Took one stage win. And, uh, yeah, what did you make of their Jared Tyen? Yeah, it was really just Groves. He, like you say, he did grab the one victory. He did leave the race early. On He, DN, he DNF'd stage 12. But yeah, outside of that other first place, he came third on two occasions and fourth on another. Though it's possible that he might have got another victory inside that last week. We will never know, but at least they did get the victory. And that was almost the way which Groves proved his kind of credentials for being signed for the team for this year was through getting that first Grand Tour victory. Of course, then he would go to the Vuelta later on. But yeah, not the greatest, I would say. I I think that I remember, I can't remember if it was like Aldani or something was also in the break quite a bit. Um, didn't quite hit the mark considering that he is also a Grand Tour stage winner of course from the Giro uh, the year prior in 2022 so maybe it would have been good if they got another victory from like a breakaway maybe but like I said before they're, they're quite limited over the sort of terrain they can do it on because they don't have a lot of climbers in their team but I think that you know still getting one Grand Tour victory is um, better than none I guess and the, the Tour which was just when was the last time that like, when, when was the last time you saw such a dominant sprinting performance at the Tour, do you think? It all may be. I think Kittle 2017. Did you or the 2021 Mark Cavendish? That's true, yeah, Cavendish as well, 2021. But you, you, you don't get these sorts of sprinting performances at the Tour every year where somebody's so dominant, do you? Yeah, well, only Cavendish peak... Cavendish, but yeah, four stage wins. Or well, it could have been more, to be honest. Le Mange, very close. Uh, I think he messed up on Champs Elysees. So it could have been six, seven, maybe. We were looking, could it have been eight? But uh, yeah, points classification as well, one of the highest margins we've seen in a while. And uh, yeah, Mancho Vanderpool, quite an incredible lead up man, sometimes a bit over the edge in terms of uh, what is allowed. But uh, yeah quite selfless by him to kind of work for Jasper Phillips and well okay we know what he went on to do in Glasgow but yeah kind of a great Tour de France probably definitely their best one so far yeah just all in on the sprints like Mandapol really didn't even contest many of the stages was he in a break yeah was he in a break once or twice he was on the break where Yoni Zagira won it I, I I remember that, but other than that, I think he was in the break where Mahoric won. But yeah, so Mandelbaum was very much just focused on Phillips, in which I really I rate the selflessness of that. But I definitely think there were quite a lot of fans out there who were hoping for a little bit of Vanderpool magic, um, sort of himself. It would have been cool if he could have got a stage as well, but 
you know, when you're all in on the on the sprinting. I mean, he proved himself to be the best lead out man in that whole race. So we'll have and to see. Therefore, in the world, I would say, because it's the biggest stage. Well, well yes, you, you could. You, there's, you would probably say that Van der Poel could very well be the best lead out man of the whole year. Oh, would you see? It would be quite funny him guiding his Belgian teammate, and then Wattenaar guiding his Dutch sprinting teammate Koi yeah. in a sprint out. But I don't know if that'll be. Yeah, yeah, if you think that would be really cool because it's like opposites, isn't it? Yeah, something's definitely clicked. It seems like a switch is definitely like. What was it? Was it in the Netflix documentary? He was talking a bit. He was annoyed that people were calling him Jasper the Disaster or something. Which I didn't even realize. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I, d- I didn't even remember seeing, hearing anybody call him that, but maybe I was just. Or him doing something crazy, like. <laughs> the Jasper Philipson hate club. Call yeah. it, or something. it must be like three members or something. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that Philipson was able, he's literally like on the flat, one of the fastest sprinters, and he's also just got the ability to get over climbs similar to a Pedersen or something like that. Probably not as good at climbing as a pedestal, but he's still very good at it. We might as well go into the Vuelta Espana. You alluded to it earlier. Caden Garros was kind of the chosen rider and uh, winning two stages along the way. Yeah, how, well, pretty pretty absent to Koenig performance. It was. It was It was actually three stage wins. Oh, three, sorry. Yeah, like you say, but he also winning the points classification, so... I mean, what else is there is to say? He, the, he might have won the one in the Giro as well. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about if Groves finished the Giro, maybe got another stage win along the way. I just think that this proves that Alps and De could very well be the best sprinting team in the whole peloton. Would you, yeah, would you agree with that? I think you're right. <laughs> All right, who else? Yeah. Yeah, sure. definitely, yeah. Uh, before we go to the verdict, who has been your rider of the season for Alps and De and the World Championships does not count at all. It's not part of it. It's kind of it's hard to say. I want to go with somebody a little bit. Jason Osborne again. You seem to like not him. That. Just say Jason Osborne. I just think I'll go with something. I I want to go with somebody, and I wanted to go with like a Tamino. When you win two monuments and your podium a third. And I know that we said it wasn't classified in there, but World Champs as well. Why? Cyclocross. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't look past it. Yeah. I am going to say Jasper Philipson. Most wins really like the next step in kind of his stardom. And I think he's going to, like you said, going to be an absolutely force next year. Just the way he ripped up the Tour of Turkey, I think. I would not want to be a spinner next year. And I mean, Cavendish, that 34th stage, I don't think it's coming up if this monster's there. Yeah. You're just going to need to designate somebody from Astana to box him in. <laughs> Mascot, you like bo- you- boxing. <laughs> not that kind of boxing. Uh, but uh, we might as well get to the verdict. And uh, yeah, where are you? what are you going to give them out of 10? I am going to give them a. I'll give them a nine. Oh, and think I, I think that yeah, I'm not going to mark them down for their lack of 
hilly terrain results because that was never an expectation. But from a sprinting standpoint, it's brilliant. But they did miss the mark. I think especially like the Giro are marking them down a bit more. And also I do feel like Philipson might have dropped a stage or two at the tour. Like you say, the Champs-Élysées, I feel like he probably should have got that. So, yeah, that's kind of my reasonings for knocking them down just a little bit. Fair enough. Just put them in their place. Uh, I was oh. giving it 8.5, and the reason is Machuvan Paul didn't do Liege plus the Liege. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, like you said, echoing what you said, and yeah, it was a shame with Aiden Groves in the Giro. Imagine if they had four points classifications. That would have been quite a feat. But yeah, monuments, like you said, everything's pretty good. And uh, it's a very exciting outlook for next year, but we'll cover that later on. Anyways, that's it for our Absinthe Koenig team review. Make sure to check out our other ones available on the podcast or in the form of Israel Premier or some of the other teams. Or check out the ones we've already done here on the channel, Yombo Visma, Bora, Ineos. Check. But with that, that's basically it for us. Make sure to check out Patrick's channel, Audio Cycling, and the Echelon Cycling Podcast every Monday. And of course, as always, thank you for watching, and we will see you around.